Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. I'm your host, Andrew Davidson, based in New York. And today we have a special episode where I'll be speaking with Andre Cherney, CEO of Aspiration, a mission-driven organization that helps consumers spend, save and invest while making the world a better place. Aspiration is not a bank, but it positions itself as an eco-friendly alternative to the big banks. Following my conversation with Andre, I'll be catching up with Mintel's Richard Cope to reflect on Andre's comments and discuss the broader implications. Andre Cherney has spent more than 25 years working to make the financial system more sustainable and fair. Before co-founding Aspiration, Andre launched Democracy Journal. He worked with Elizabeth Warren to help start the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. And a former Clinton White House aide, he was the youngest White House speechwriter in American history. Quite a background. Uh, Andre, a very warm welcome to the pod. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Uh, Whereabouts are you today? I am at home in Phoenix, Arizona. Very good. I was actually out running recently here in New York and I was listening to NPR and I heard an ad for the Aspiration Zero credit cards. And I thought, you know, here we go. Uh, Things are clearly ramping up um, over at Aspiration. Um, So much going on, you know, uh, additional funding, you've made an acquisition, uh, plans to go public. But, um, you know, let's start from the top. And I've, I've heard you speak, you know, and articulate this, you know, huge societal shift towards sustainability. What is the mission of Aspiration and and how did it all come about? Well, I think the mission in some ways is is what what you described as as you were talking about Mintel and what what you look at, which is there has been this societal shift uh, in the rise of conscious consumers and all of those industries that you've been talking about, how we eat, uh, how we drive, uh, how we get around uh, generally, how uh, we shop, all of those uh, parts of our lives have been transformed and yet our financial aspect of our life, which is in many ways the most impactful, uh, people are still uh, doing the equivalent of shopping, which is holding their accounts and using the cards of very large institutions that are functioning in ways that are antithetical to their concerns as, as conscious consumers. And so part of what we thought about as we were launching was we were going to bring that shift into mm-hmm people's financial lives. Uh, and and the, so the people who are out there who are thinking about ethics, thinking about environmental sustainability as they're deciding what to buy in the grocery store and what kind of coffee to drink and what kind of clothes to wear also have a way to advance those values uh, in their financial life. And even in a fundamental way, ensure that as they're making those purchases of uh, the food in the grocery store or that coffee or, or that t-shirt, the way that they're making that purchase doesn't actually outweigh all of the good that they're trying to do. So take, take us back. Was there, a, I guess, was there a spark? Was there a single moment uh, where the sort of idea of aspiration sort of came about? You know, perhaps take us back. I mean, how does this sort of connect with your, your own personal journey? I wouldn't say there was a single moment, but the word journey is probably the the right one. Uh, as as you said, I was fortunate to start my career uh, 25 years ago working in the White House for President Clinton and and uh, and for most of the time with with then Vice President Gore. And and of course that meant that was working on the issue of what we were calling back then global warming, where mm. he had been. Uh, a leader. This is years before Inconvenient Truth came out and uh, and so on. And we were trying, unfortunately, unsuccessfully to get people to pay attention to a crisis that we knew was coming, but where we knew the impact would not be felt for years and years to come. And that, and that meant we still had time to, to make some shifts and, and struggled with how to get people to respond and how to get government to respond. And he was, of course, going around the country giving these speeches, showing CO2 levels in the Antarctic core. And people were making fun of him and calling him Al Bohr and saying he's talking about these esoteric scientific things as opposed to real issues. Um, And so fast forward over the years and continued to be involved in in issues around sustainability and continued to be involved in issues around uh, people's financial lives, working with uh, Elizabeth Warren at the very beginning of what became the idea for the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, uh, and then ended up then uh, skipping some chapters, but doing uh, consulting, and, and and a lot of that consulting was with some of the very largest financial institutions, and saw that there was really 
as we were exploring all of their business challenges, a push to think about what was at their core and, and, mm-hmm. what, and the challenges at their core were not, if you kept on pulling on the string and did the uh, Toyota five Ys and kept on digging in further, it was not a product or challenge of uh, what the reward structure was or, um, or tinkering with the technology, their customers didn't trust them. And they trusted them to the extent of if you deposit $20 into the ATM, you'll get $20 back out, but not the deeper, deeper levels of trust of, of being on my side, sharing my values. And that really was that spark of thinking about what if there was a financial institution that people did trust, that did share their values, that did help them advance the kind of world they wanted to live in, that was financially uh, aligned with them as well, uh, as opposed to the banks where the worse the people do in life, the, the more money they make through fees and overdraft fees and late fees and so on. And, and so my, my co-founder and I would, would uh, take these uh, long walks and, and talk about um, what might be, and of course, <laughs> a, a long journey from, uh, from <laughs> kicking, kicking around an idea to, to what we're doing now. Well, and what year did you launch? We, we started the company in 2013, um, started thinking about it in 2012, so 10 years ago, started the company in 2013, launched our first product in the beginning of 2015. Um, what do you think, I mean, you're talking about the financial services industry there, but what do you think stops, you know, the big banks from taking a stronger position on climate change? Because it does seem that so much that, you know, consumers are definitely caring more. Uh, and yet you seem to state a sort of claim in the marketplace. What do you think stops them from, from doing that as well? I think in this day and age, uh, people have a pretty well-refined BS detector. Uh, and the truth of the matter is that these large financial institutions generate billions of dollars by financing yeah. fossil fuel projects and using their customers' deposits to do so. Um, you know, the, the largest banks in the world, top 50 or so banks, spend more around financing oil and gas pipelines and drilling every day than ExxonMobil does in a year. And they're using their customers' deposits to do so. Now they've started making pledges about what they're going to do by 2040 and 2050. But the people who care most about it, um, the people who care most about this issue are the ones who are most discerning and the ones who won't fall for a Wells Fargo debit card that's that's painted the color green. And I'm sure you, you see that as you look at these consumers across other industries that um, the it's 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 basically impossible to fake it yeah. uh, for these consumers they they, they they care about it so deeply they're going to make a decision about it but they're also going to to do the research on it as well it's like they can't actually authentically stake that make that claim because yeah. it would involve untangling or unwinding business operations and decades of worth of practices. I mean, it'd be such a huge monumental shift in how they do the business, um, uh, which is interesting in the sense that it then means that it really leaves the opportunity for newcomers onto the market to like aspiration to disrupt uh, the industry. Um, Obviously, you know, sustainability is something that's obviously it's not key for not just for consumers, it's also key for businesses. I've noticed, obviously, you had some of the you started talking about sustainability as a service. Now, how should companies think about sustainability? Where, where, what are you? Where are you heading in in that in terms of uh, aspirations, goals? I, I, that's some of the journey that we've been on. As I said, we we started thinking about how to help people make their spending and saving sustainable. But as we've grown, we've gone far beyond those roots. I, I sometimes say we're uh, an online bank uh, the same way that uh, Amazon is a online bookseller. Uh, we, we've, that, that was where we started. But as we went on, uh, we saw that as we were having millions of transactions, those are really millions of moments of, of action, of sustainable action that people could take. And so built products separate and apart from the financial services around automated carbon offsets and, and planting mm. trees. And over the past couple of years, we have been taking those services, those sustainability services, as opposed to the financial services, and bringing those sustainability services to all kinds of businesses that are seeing this very fast growing bottom-up demand from their customers and their employees 
uh, around sustainability and around mm. taking real meaningful action around the climate crisis. And for those businesses, uh, they're not just looking to put out a press release saying they're going to be net zero in 2030. That doesn't help them with their day-to-day interactions with those customers. They need to build it into that customer proposition, into that customer journey, into that employee experience. And Aspiration with now 7 million members really is unique in our ability to provide branded, bundled climate solutions to businesses. And and so today we think of ourselves really as sustainability as a service. Uh, How do we help people and businesses integrate sustainable action into what they're doing every day. And, and for consumers, that might be through a debit card or credit card. And, but for, for businesses, it takes a, a different form. That's, that's interesting. And obviously, 7 million uh, customers now. Uh, that's uh, quite some growth, uh, pretty rapid, rapid growth. And congratulations on that. I mean, who, who, is the, who is the ideal or who is the aspiration customer? Interestingly, when you look at the demographic profile, The demographic profile looks like the country at large in the sense of about 50-50 male-female, the same kind of income distribution you would expect of uh, the country at large. Geographically, 94% live outside of Los Angeles, New York City, and the Bay Area. So it's not as some fintechs might be concentrated in in those uh, spots. But what we do see is a couple things. One is they're by and large younger uh, than the population. So... uh, its sweet spot is, is late 20s, early 30s, uh, part of this Generation Z that uh, is coming up and uh, putting uh, the millennials and, and, and certainly the Gen Xers like me to, to shame in terms of the extent to which they really are integrating uh, sustainability into what they're looking for every day in every way. And digitally native, uh, maybe have never been inside a bank branch in their in their lives um or certainly not in many years and um and those are really the core of of who aspirations customers are we are as opposed to i'd say just about every other debit card or or maybe credit card out there we're not primarily going after financial optimizers Uh, we are not going after the person who is going to be figuring out how to get the best bonus or uh how to transfer their uh money from from one account to another or one card to another or or on the points guy and calculating uh the maximum number of rewards we think that segment of the market is well served by by many uh we're going after this group of conscious consumers who also want a great deal and who also want the best but who are going to be somewhat immune to or um maybe put it another way, people who are going to be much less likely to switch on the basis of a rewards offer, but who are absolutely going to switch by something that allows them to have a real sustainable impact. Right. So how, how, um, how big do you want to be? I mean, could you, could you even answer that question? What is the, I guess, the potential here for aspiration in terms of the addressable market? Well, we, we think it's, it's huge and, and getting bigger. Um, it, this is not a, a not a niche uh, offering uh, by by any means. When we look at the studies out there, our internal studies, some of the third party consultants that have, uh, and and firms that have looked at this, um, there's anywhere from twenty five percent to a third of the population that are these conscious consumers when it comes to financial products who are going to pick their financial product on the basis of impact and ethics and sustainability and conscience and for whom that is going to be, if not the sole driver, coincident as one of the primary drivers. That's a huge part of our population. And and again, when you look at not population at large, but the population of people who are 30 and younger, 40 and younger, it's an even bigger share of that that population. and, you know, of course, the, the largest banks in, in the country, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, each have about 10% market share. So, uh, you know, how big can we be? We can be very, very big as we're really defining this category. Yeah, that is uh, it's interesting to hear you articulate it in that way, because so often, and to say that this is not a niche product because so often anything related to the environment is is always positioned as in that in that niche bucket do you i mean one of the things that i find interesting about fintech and, and companies coming into the space of course is they're always grappling with this issue of trust you know consumers when it comes to financial services you know consumers trust banks because they're regulated products um 
do, do you will you have to become a bank no we we won't and i think there is this question of trust um but we've really worked to to address that first of all we are regulated we're just uh our account in terms of its structure is a cash management account as opposed to a what's called a dda uh, uh account or, or a direct uh um account and so that just means we're regulated by finra as opposed to the federal reserve but abide by all of the same regulations that a, a bank would uh in terms of how we treat our customers and what we provide for them fully fdic insured deposits in fact as opposed to two hundred fifty thousand dollars of deposits we offer up to 2.5 million dollars in fdic uh insurance and so i think building that regulatory structure building the process towards becoming a public company all helps in providing that reassurance to consumers out there mm. yeah as i started there's trust issues i think on both sides and, and for a lot of people it comes to you know i would say the devil that you know versus the uh, angel that you don't know yet or, or are just learning about and there's concerns about trust either way sure. but we think that as we continue to grow and as we continue to uh, let more and more people know about that aspiration and build that that brand. Uh, we create the the trust and and fill that gap for people who are getting from uh, getting through consideration and and, and into uh, an actual decision to move their money. So it sounds like um, you know seven million customers. Then is just the start. You have some very ambitious plans. Um, obviously, I was reading about your new partnership with the Intuit Dome, um, uh, which is being built or I think it comes opens in 2024 um, but I, obviously a massive investment into that partnership you know obviously that that is a long-term bet uh, was that a risky bet from your perspective I mean it's a sort of sizable financial investment um, how are you thinking about that sort of long-term longer-term perspective well I, I think wouldn't call it a risky bet because again what we're doing is building that consumer brand uh, yeah. and uh you know as as we're going to see uh people from all over the country are going to see that aspiration uh logo and learn about aspiration uh that's an important part of building that brand but what i also say is that this is really a, a a two-way relationship where uh the clippers and the intuit dome are uh hiring our, our b2b side of our business our aspiration sustainable impact services to help them to get to climate neutral. And, and so um, they're working with us and we're providing the services around carbon offsets and carbon credits and uh, and ways to reduce their carbon footprint so that that new Intuit Dome will be actually the first climate positive sports arena in the world. And as part of that as well, customers who are, are uh, ticket holders or, or fans who are coming to a game or concert uh, at in the Intuit Dome will have a uh, planet protection contribution built into each ticket uh, where they'll be able to not only offset their emissions from coming to the game and, and traveling, but actually also make a positive climate contribution with, with every uh, ticket that's sold to uh, uh, to that into a dome as 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 potentially being part of having that that uh, big impact, and so I think what we've seen is more and more businesses who are looking to come to work with with Aspiration as they've learned about what we're doing, certainly in sports and, and venues uh, and leagues all over the world, but in just about every vertical that you can imagine, from home builders who are uh, building what their marketing is Aspiration sustainable smart homes. Uh, to uh, big companies that are building aspiration sustainability benefits uh, into what they're offering their employees. Uh, you know, as I sometimes say, we're working with everybody from the LA Clippers to the government of Qatar, from Deloitte to Drake uh, <laughs> and, and his upcoming tour. Uh, so it really is a broad swath of, of businesses that, again, are seeing this bottom-up pressure now from their customers and and their employees that is just growing month yeah. after month year after year and, and and looking to aspiration to help them figure out how to address that in a way that helps them to build that business yeah all right so i want to ask you about the new credit card which you launched uh, last year um 
So you've had, you know, that was obviously a big launch. We've seen a lot of advertising. I mentioned the NPR ad. We were talking uh, about all of the advertising we're seeing for the card in New York on billboards, uh, all sorts of channels, um, direct mail, Facebook, Insta. Uh, we're seeing all sorts of marketing rolling out for the new card. Perhaps talk me through the journey. What's, what's the journey been like in terms of launching the new card? It's been, it's been a long journey. Uh, uh, <laughs> How long? <laughs> well, we went back and, and, uh, and looked at it. We, we, I think, started thinking about that card and the value proposition in, in 2017, 2018, um, and uh, we're starting to think about how to, how to build it in the first half of, of 2020. Um, and, uh, and so building something like this from bottoms up uh, was, was a big undertaking. Uh, as we had to think through all of the different dimensions of what we could offer out there that we would be really proud of that would be really differentiated uh, in in the market, um, but have been enormously excited about Aspiration Zero and uh, and all the potential it has ahead of it. Uh, perhaps for the listeners, if you could just explain briefly the value prop. Value prop is uh, pretty simple. There's uh, dozens and dozens of cards out there that help you rack up miles. Uh, the Aspiration Zero card is the only one that'll help you take miles off of the planet. And what the uh, primary offer does is pretty simple. Use this card once a day and the average American will offset their entire carbon footprint for that day. Uh, and use it enough to offset your carbon footprint for a month. So essentially once a, once a day for a month and you get extra cash back rewards uh, at this point, 1% cash back on all your purchases unlimited uh, as well as having the satisfaction of knowing that you've uh, offset the average American's carbon footprint. So it's a, it's a pretty simple proposition, but a, but a very different one than anything yeah. else that's out there. Who do you think you're competing with, with that product? I, I think we're largely competing with, uh, lack of knowledge uh, and, and inertia. Uh, yeah, what we've seen in our studies around the credit card product was similar to what we've seen by, uh, in, in our look and others look at the market overall, which is there is about 20% of current credit card customers uh, who say that they would trade the rewards they're getting currently and the offer they're getting for something that would allow them to offset uh, and hmm. limit their, uh, their carbon footprint and have a positive impact on, on the climate. And they're willing to, to make the move. Uh, they're excited to make the move. Uh, they just have to learn a, about aspiration. And so that's why we're out there telling that story. And you, so you decided to go with a $60 annual fee, which I thought was interesting. But of course, we, I mean, we've done a lot of work at Mintel. We know that consumers are willing to pay fees for better rewards. Here, you're suggesting that consumers are willing to pay a fee to buy into the mission of... Well, not just that. I would, say, I, would, I would say they're getting rewards as well, but we all get rewards in, in different ways. Uh, there's mm -hmm. psychic rewards as well as financial rewards. And they're not buying into the mission. They're actually having a direct impact. This isn't, uh, you know, somebody uh, having a, to pick on uh, one example, a, a World Wildlife Fund uh, card with a, with a panda printed on it, and they feel good about using it. It's not an affinity uh, card. Uh, this is a card that has real impact. They know that every time they're planting that tree, they're having sustainable impact. They're able to plant two trees every time they buy that cup of coffee or they buy that newspaper, whatever they're buying with that, that's tangible. Uh, yeah. There you buy that. And, you know, within a few, some number of months, two trees will be growing uh, in the world every time you make that purchase. So for a lot of people that that's a reward uh, knowing that they are fighting the climate crisis, knowing that they are offsetting their carbon footprint, uh, people do all kinds of things. People buy Teslas, people put solar panels on their roof. People do all kinds of things that may not make sense necessarily purely financially, um, but ones that are important to them. And there are millions and millions of consumers who would be gladly paying not just $60 uh, dollars a year, but be paying $20, $30 a month uh, for, for the knowledge that they've offset their carbon footprint. So it's, we, we think it's a great deal. And I'm, I'm fascinated to ask you about the, the marketing rollout. And I know you, you kicked it off with a wait list. 
uh, email waitlist. That's something that we're seeing more and more of from, especially from fintechs entering the credit card space. Yeah. I was wondering what you learned. Uh, did you use, were you able to use the waitlist in some way um, to develop the products or was it a way of just sort of building up a pool of uh, early adopters? Well, it, it was probably a combination of, of both. Uh, we, we certainly were able to see substantial interest uh, and, and able to see people wanting to sign up for the wait list and, and, and understand who was signing up uh, for that as, uh, as that wait list uh, grew and grew. So we definitely did learn from it. So it sort of provided some validation, really, that, did, the, yeah. the, that the idea was, go- was going to work. Yeah. Um, then on launch day, we, you know, Robert Downey Jr., obviously, who back, who's a backer of the card, uh, produced an ad and, and posted it to his Instagram account. I think he has 50 million followers. So an incredible piece of launch day marketing um, of the likes that certainly we've never seen before. Um, could you talk a little bit about the celebrity backing uh, aspiration? How did that come about? The, the celebrity team, particularly Robert Downey Jr., seems very involved and engaged in the product. You know, I think we've been fortunate to have uh, all kinds of backers and, and some that, uh, that, that are more household names than, uh, than others. Um, but, you know, I would say the people who have been involved with a company, whether it's somebody like Robert Downey Jr. or, or somebody like Leonardo DiCaprio are not uh, tourists in, in this space. They are people who have really put significant time and resources and energy uh, behind work around the climate crisis. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. founded uh, the uh, Footprint Coalition to support the work of all kinds of companies uh, that are having a positive climate impact. And he has a, you know, a great team there. People who are very serious about, about that work. And of course, uh, there's others like Leonardo DiCaprio who have really, you know, with his foundation, who've put time and money and, and, and muscle behind making real change. Um, and so uh, these are people who are, who are serious about this and, and, and people who are also knowing that there's a giant opportunity here to build something. And as Aspiration is creating that consumer brand, telling that story uh, to customers, of course, having those that, that they already know be part of that uh, creates added value. Mm. I mean, obviously, in the marketing, in the credit card marketing space, you know, having celebrity backers is not, not necessarily a new idea. Obviously, you look at someone like Chase with Kevin Hart or, you know, Citibank with Rashida Jones, but this is, this is different. You've got the, you've got a celebrity buying into the cause and potentially, and are very much aligned with the cause and very much um, could really sort of move the needle in terms of yeah. pulling from his own followers or their own followers. I, I think it's, it's important to differentiate because, one of the things that Robert Downey Jr. didn't want and what we didn't want either was to be, create a credit card commercial uh, and, and somebody uh, holding up a, a, a card and saying, uh, you know, switch to this, to this card. Um, going back to that uh, question about authenticity and, and, and the BS detector that the, uh, the people have. And so the video that he produced is actually one that he produced. Uh, he, every word there was, was written by him personally. He directed it. It it's, was in many ways his directorial debut of, of a piece of content like this. Um, and so it was authentic and, and real of somebody who really is walking the walk um, when, it, when it comes to this. So did he have total editorial kind of control over that? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He's, he's not, uh, if, if people know anything about him, he is not somebody who is uh, <laughs> going to uh, uh, say words that are, that are put uh, into his mouth uh, if he doesn't believe it. Of course, of course. And, uh, and it's, I mean, it's certainly it's a, a trend, obviously, we're seeing that content creators obviously are not of the scale in terms of, um, you know, in terms of being so well known as Robert Downey Jr. are taking more of the reins when it comes to creating their own content and marketing as well. Um, but yeah, amazing rollout and uh, something that we've never seen before from a marketing perspective. Uh, on the credit card, any f- feedback so far from customers? What's, is it going well? It is going well. Uh, and, and we've known this is going to be a, a journey to ramp up a, a new product and, and so uh, building up, uh, but seeing very strong engagement uh, and, um, and excited to continue to, to tell that story out there. 
Do you, is is cross selling a big part of the strategy? Are you are you starting with aspiration uh, debit customers, and and is that the start point? It, it's definitely it's definitely a big part of it, but it it goes beyond that uh, because there's a lot of people out there who very much believe in what aspiration is doing, but for whom it's maybe harder to move their bank account at this point in their in their life. Um, and 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 for, and people who very much want to have a positive impact, but are more likely to be credit card users than debit card users. Uh, and you and others have done a lot of research in, into uh, those the different uh, demographics there. And so it, it's definitely something that we're seeing aspiration customers using and adopting. But it also allows us to create a new front door into the aspiration mm. experience beyond that spend and save. Uh, account around the debit card and people's day-to-day savings. Uh, I've noticed that recently, obviously, a big part of the value prop is the, you know, is the, the the tree planting. I have obviously noticed that you've started to see other banks, not quite in quite directly the same way, airlines looking for ways of incorporating carbon offsets or tree planting. I mean, if that becomes more popular as a benefit on some more mainstream credit cards, then how will you compete or how will you respond to that? Well, you know, I think as you look at airlines and others uh, taking action around uh, climate uh, carbon credits and uh, and reforestation, Aspiration is a great partner uh, for them. And, and we're working with those kinds of businesses to be their source of carbon credits, their source of, of reforestation. Mm. Aspiration, as I said, planted uh, 50 million trees uh, last year. Uh, we're planting as many trees every three hours uh, as there are in Central Park. I'll say that one. I'll say that one again. Uh, we're we're planting as many trees as there are in Central Park every three hours. Every three hours. That's a lot and, of trees. And and that's not as you know. I'd say it's aspiration, but it's really our aspiration customers uh, who are who are doing this, be they individuals or or businesses. And, and so we are through reforestation and other means. Uh, creating carbon credits at scale in in a way that's pretty unique uh, out there yeah. in the world, and so able to be a source of those uh, credits and and enable an airline to tell the story about its sustainability to its customers and and build that experience into what they're seeing through a partnership with with Aspiration. And so we're excited about more and more businesses mm. uh, coming to market and. Um, and, and if we're, we're seeing that in, in other credit cards, uh, you know, I, I think we uh, feel good about our ability to have really created a definitional brand in the space around sustainable spending and saving. Could you see yourself partnering with another credit card? Sure. I can, I, I can, see, I can see all kinds of possibilities. Uh, my, my door is always open. <laughs> what do you say to then, uh, specifically talking about carbon offsets and, and really re- relating to tree planting, what do you say to critics who might argue that you know, it just takes too long to make a difference. You know, that the, the, the millions of trees you spoke about there are going to take many years to grow and start to absorb, um, you know, carbon dioxide. And that potentially it's sort of outsourcing the real issue, which is reducing um, carbon emissions. Yeah. You know, I, I think on the first part of that question, I would say compared to what? Uh, because there is nothing else out there that can produce carbon offset at scale the way reforestation does right now. And yes, it, you know, for the trees that we're planting, it will take five to seven years in most cases for them to get to a place where they are having a, any significant carbon impact. But if, if somebody has a better alternative of what we can be doing today, uh, right now, 2022, mm-hmm. To make an impact, then that, that would be great. But there's there's nothing else at this point out there, and so those of us who care about climate, which is most people now, have to get out of this silver bullet mentality. The truth is, there isn't going to be a single silver bullet that is going to solve that. And that means, yes, we absolutely need to reduce emissions. Uh, and Aspiration uh, has all kinds of ways in which we're helping companies do that as well. But we're never going to reduce emissions fast enough to a point we need without needing offsets and, and credits at the same time. And yes, you know, to those who say it, the burden shouldn't be on people, 
yes, I, I wish the government of the United States and China and, and others uh, will have taken more action and wish they had taken action many, many years ago when I was working on that. And, and yes, they have a responsibility. And yes, big companies uh, and companies of all size have a responsibility. But we have responsibility, too, and we can also make a difference. And so this has to be an all in moment. And it has, means every solution, anything that is making a positive impact has to be part of the conversation. Yeah. OK. So to, to push you a bit more on that, then what about from the consumer perspective? Is there a danger that, you know, they feel like, OK, well, I'm I'm planting trees with my credit card. So you know, some of those other issues are sort of out of sight, out of mind. You know, I don't really need to engage with the real issues. I think the people who care enough to want to have a financial product that is built around offsetting their daily carbon footprint are, are people who get that that alone is not enough. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I don't imagine that there's people out there who are going to use the aspiration zero card and then not care whether they're uh, driving a, a Hummer and uh, uh, doing uh, God knows, God knows what else um, we're, we're, built for people who are the conscious consumers, people who do care about this. And, and so I, I don't think there's any realistic risk that uh, people will think this is a, uh, uh, some sort of annulment uh, that, that, we're, that we're selling to them. Is education part of the strategy? It's, it is the strategy. Uh, you know, going back to why a Robert Downey Jr. or why, uh, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s story of him using the card uh, would uh, we'll get we'll have gotten a lot more attention than than Andre or Andrew's uh, story of us uh, using the card. Uh, and there are so many people out there who are shopping at brands built around sustainability for food, uh, who are eating plant based foods, who are driving electric vehicle, who are yeah. thinking about fast fashion and, and and ethical brands who have not yet been educated and and have not realized that when they pay for that uh, Beyond Meat hamburger or uh, that uh, environmentally friendly uh, t-shirt or that fair trade cup of coffee with a big bank card, they are actually having more negative impact than all of the positive impact that they're trying to have because of the staggering amount of their own deposits that are being used every single day to finance what is driving the climate crisis. Right, right. So, so plans to go public. Uh, do you know when that might happen, or estimated time frame for that? We're, we're, uh, we announced uh, our intentions, our business combination agreement with uh, Interprivate Three uh, last summer, and uh, now are just in the process of going through all of the uh, SEC uh, approvals and um, and so on. So, uh, don't know exactly when, but we're we're certainly expecting in, in the first half of this year. Oh, first half of this yeah. year. Okay. So, and then and once you become public, I mean, how will you then balance or prioritize your the mission, which is obviously very clear, over profit? I mean, how will that then become uh, a challenge? Yeah, going back to that question about the initial conversations and thinking about aspiration, one of the things that we built was a business where profit and purpose are inextricably linked. Uh, you know, there's a lot of businesses out there and, and, and who, and I say kudos to them, but ones who make profit and make products in one area and then perhaps give some of it away uh, to, to causes. And, and again, hats off to them. But for us, the more impact we're making, uh, the more people are using our products and offsetting their carbon footprint and using our carbon credits and, and getting to net zero and getting to climate positive, the more money we make, just very simply. Uh, and so uh, I think one of the really fortunate aspects of aspiration is that that's not really a trade-off that we're grappling with on a, on a daily basis. Right. Yeah, because how, how, what are your sort of key sources of making money? So 70% of our revenue comes from what we call sustainability services, uh, whether it's offsetting through tree planting or, or otherwise uh, carbon credits uh, or, or other uh, forms of environmental uh, action and, and climate action that we're offering either our individual consumers uh, or, or to the companies that we work with. Hmm. Um, 
And then the rest would be what sort of interchange fees. And- exactly. So it'd be things like interchange and interest income on our deposits and uh, subscription on our uh, or annual fees or, or things like that. Yes. Okay. So, I mean, obviously you said you've got the funding, you've got the, a great brand, you've got great backers, um, great plans in place. You know, are, are, what are the challenges as you grow now? Um, or are there challenges? I mean, obviously it's a challenge to just scale up. I'm sure it's just a, yeah. a huge operational challenge. Well, of course, when you're doing something like this, there's uh, inevitably challenges. I, I think the probably biggest single challenge that we face across the board is one of just the need to have continuing education uh, out there, whether it's for consumers or uh, businesses or, or even investors. The, I, I always think for, for each of us individually, and I think it's true for Aspiration as well, our, our strengths are our weaknesses. Uh, and what makes Aspiration so special is that we are creating this category. Uh, we've, we've built this category around sustainable consumer financial uh, products, debit cards, credit cards, and, and, and pioneering in that space. Uh, we are going to be the first public company that is an ESG-focused financial institution. And we're building the category more broadly around sustainability as a service. Uh, I was um, on, on a site downloading a report uh, earlier today, and there was a drop-down menu about what industry are you in. And, and I chose other because none of, none of those industries was uh, applicable to what we're doing. There's, we're providing climate change-fighting solutions uh, to all kinds of businesses in all kinds of industries. And that means when you're the first one doing something, uh, there is no path in front of you. We're not trying to do what somebody else did before, but better or faster or, or cheaper or with better technology. We're creating something new. And every step forward is one where we as a business are are thinking about what is the right way to step. And do we take a step to the left or a step to the right? And, um, and how do we make sure we're not going down a dead end? And if we are, how do we turn around and go back? And... So, as I say to people who are joining Aspiration, uh, or I, I say to investors, other, what we're doing is hard. What we're doing is ambitious. What we're doing is unique. And with that comes all kinds of uh, challenges around explaining that uh, to to either somebody who is trying to decide, do I stay with my bank X uh, account or do I switch to a place like Aspiration, or you know, explaining that to uh, to investors who wonder uh, how to fit us into predefined uh, categories. Just uh, so fascinating. Um, do, do you have, do, what about moving into other banking types of products, green banking, different types of lending, whether you give different preferential rates for sustainable activities, like things like electric vehicles or solar, these things you might planning to be doing? I'd say stay tuned. Stay uh, nothing, tuned. Nothing to announce today, but uh, we are we are not done by any means with okay, all of the well, kinds of products exciting. we bring to market. Uh, and just like as we sort of come to a close here, I mean, you know, it's, what what advice would you give to others looking to come in and sort of disrupt a market? I would look. I would say this. Um, I really firmly believe we are likely going through the biggest, fastest shift in behavior in human history as we make this shift to sustainability over the coming years. And it's going to affect every part of our lives, every company, every industry that's out there. It really is this zero to one moment that I think of in some ways a little bit like the early days of the internet, uh, where you initially had dot coms that were separate and apart from the rest of the economy. And then there was this three, four, five year period where every business decided we need the website. We need to get our business online. We need to change the way we do business and start uh, being a internet business, as opposed to thinking of them as different kinds of businesses than, than real businesses. And we've seen the same around sustainability. There's been the, the aspirations or the Patagonias or others, but the demand from the bottom up from consumers and, and others, stakeholders right now is going to be growing so fast that every company out there, whatever business they're in, is going to have to think about sustainability uh, if they're not already, if they're not already making real tangible steps towards getting to net zero uh, and having a positive impact. And they're going to see that their future revenue lines uh, and business depends on that. And, and so when you're in this kind of shift, um, you know, I'd say the possibilities for other entrepreneurs to help drive that and to be part of the opportunity that this in, enormous challenge and, and, uh, and, and moment of transformation presents are, are endless. 
Well, Andre, thank you. Uh, it's been a real, real pleasure. Um, yeah, thank you. Listening to you, I think uh, the big banks need to sit up and take notes uh, because, you know, clearly there's a huge opportunity here, um, which is being framed by aspiration. Uh, fascinating conversation. So thank you again. I, I wish you and the team at Aspiration the best of luck. Thank Sounds you. Sounds like an inc- uh, what is coming up will be an incredibly exciting period. Thank you very much. Thank you. Well, I really enjoyed that conversation. Andre has a very clear vision and is determined to make a difference when it comes to sustainability. Um, I'm now joined by my colleague, Richard Cope, based in London, to discuss the implications. Richard is a futurologist and the author of Mintel's Sustainability Barometer. He's also a regular guest on the pod. Richard, welcome back. Hi, Andrew. Nice to speak to you again. Great to have you as always. So what did you think? I think I'm largely positive about it. I mean, I think what they're doing is laudable. I think it's um, it's well-intentioned. It's for real. And I think Andre's for real. I'm, I'm definitely convinced by that. Um, I mean, we will have, you know, critiques and things we, we can talk out. But I think, you know, the world does need more of these. Um, I mean, I'm not sure how much is anything new uh, in some in some degrees. It reminds me of the co-op bank um, here uh. in the UK. And for those people who don't know, the co-op is a longest established um ethical bank um which does loads of great work um only works with um you know won't, won't bank your money with uh, unethical or environmentally unfriendly companies etc but this is obviously a lot sexier you know this is kind of the co-op with dicaprio is how i i thought of it really it's like a hollywood take on it it's a lot sexier than the co-op but they're effectively doing the same kind of things and i think this is definitely sort of a next stage in in sustainability as you know finance does need mobilizing i mean when people talked about COP being a failure, COP26. It's a huge amount of capital was mobilized around that. And Andrew, your money, I don't know where it is, or, you know, my money, it could be, you know, we are fueling climate change. We are bankrolling cartels and things like that sometimes without, without us realizing. So this is a great way of making sure your money um, is doing something positive. And it's very easy for us to do, right? It's the idea of let the money do the work for you. Um, we mean you don't have to do a lot of legwork if we adopt this. And yeah, our sustainability barometer shows that the kind of sustainability initiatives consumers like are, are very simple things like this, you know, whether it's um, recycling or buying less clothes or, um, and it reminded me a little bit, I guess the principle is similar to the search engine um, Ecosia, where just by using Ecosia, you're, you're planting trees depending on how many searches you do. So we'll critique it and we'll look at it in more in depth, but yeah, um, yeah I'm positive about it. I was impressed. I, I, it's interesting you bring up the co-op and of course I do remember the co-op uh, from obviously being from the UK. And I, but I think maybe what's different or one of the things that's different is what, uh, Andre articulated, and he sort of sh- he when he talked about the size of the opportunity, and I that really struck me. And he talked about how twenty five percent to a third of U.S. consumers, uh, what he considers to be conscious consumers, who will pick their financial products on the basis of ethics or sustainability. Maybe it's not their sole reason for doing that, but one of the reasons. And uh, I think a comment that really stood out to me is when he said, "This is not a niche by any means," and. Uh, and I've sort of tended to always think about anything to do with the environment. I think in the, the co-op, for example, was considered a more of a niche product rather than more mainstream banking. But maybe things have changed now. Um, but the size of the opportunity, I think, is, is staggering. You know, traditional banks have so much legacy, so much baggage that, you know, it'll be difficult to them for them to respond. Um, so that was one of the things that really stood out to me. But the other was also the investment in brand building. You know, many fintechs don't have the marketing backing. And ultimately, if consumers haven't heard of you, it doesn't matter if you've got the best products in the world, you know, it's not going to go anywhere. And we've seen on Compare Media, you know, this sort of omni-channel, massive marketing launch across, you know, video, email, podcast, you know, we're seeing billboards, you know, all across New York, where I'm from, um, where I live. And so, you know, huge marketing investment. So really clearly building a brand which really, you know, should make the traditional players sit up and, and take note. Um, but I want to ask you, so, I mean, I asked Andre about the effectiveness of tree planting. And one of his points was that there isn't really anything else that's more effective right now. I wanted to get your perspective on that. Do you agree with that? I mean, or are there other ways that consumers can offset their footprint more effectively than tree planting? Yeah, there are. I mean, in two words, land management. Um, we'll come on to that a little bit, but 
I mean, consumers would agree with Andre. I mean, our barometer data shows that, you know, we ask consumers what is the most um, high impact thing we can do uh, as a solution to climate change. Tree planting comes out number one, like mm. 88% of, of consumers globally say that. But probably the most effective you could thing you could do would be land management. And by that, I mean conserving um, mature forests. If you can stop a mature forest, which is doing a very you know, sizable job of um, carbon storage being chopped down tomorrow, that's the, the most immediately effective thing you can do. So I think one of the most famed um, NGOs around this is the World Land Trust and the, world, the work they do around that. So the most effective thing you can do would be buy up existing land, which is in danger of um, being turned over. Tree planting certainly has a role to play, but I think land management is something else schemes like this could look at. And it also has to be a bit more nuanced as well. You know, when people talk about tree planting, I think it's quite well known. People ask questions about, okay, how long before that forest becomes mature? How long does it start to have an effect? Which is why I brought in land management. But we need to make it more nuanced as well. You know, we need to look at, okay, how effective are the trees you're planting um, in terms of capturing carbon? You know, some species are much better than others. Um, there's a tree called the Empress Splendor. And there's a lot of um, groups in America working with that, which is the most effective carbon capture tree you can use. And probably marine options are the other thing to think about, you know, mangrove forests, indeed planting things like seagrass in the oceans, they absorb something like, you know, eight to 10 times the amount of carbon per sort of uh, square kilometer that a typical forest would do. So these aren't straightforward things to do, but, you know, it can be more nuanced in terms of tree planting. And I also yeah. think um, land management is something to look at as well. We'll talk a bit more about offsetting later. Offsetting can be even the most credible certified offsetting schemes you put some investigative journalists on the case and it becomes a very murky world <laughs> and it's so interesting and i get i guess one of the most uh, impactful things about the tree planting is that you know it's something that you can from a marketing perspective it's something that you can visualize it's something that you can people can sort of um uh, you know buy into and it, you know we talked about the big marketing rollout and you know on the, in my interview with andre we talked about this amazing launch campaign um, which where robert downey jr produced a video and posted it on his to his instagram followers one of the most unique launch campaigns that we've ever seen from the credit card marketing perspective i was actually looking uh, on youtube that's now being viewed more than nine million times that uh, uh, particular ad but you know one of the things he says in the ad he says you know and i'm quoting the last thing we need is another credit card realistically we need a million magic wands offsetting our daily carbon footprint with everyday purchases so really focus on this element of uh, planting trees i mean isn't it at least true that if you use aspiration versus another card you know you're doing something at least you're doing something to help yeah i agree and that's why you know i was really quite generally positive about this um at the outset i mean it's it's the financial services equivalent of trying to look at you know, someone else famous in the american market for example would be reformation fashion label where you know they tell you how much carbon was produced by the garment you're going to buy or how much water was used against the industry average and you're making a, a conscious uh, purchase decision which is better for the environment and this is you know even obviously building beyond that in terms of you having a fully positive impact and talking about robert downey jr i mean this is what we need we need i mean we need these things to go high profile mm. i mean i think in popular culture you know the don't look up movies being very divisive but it's massively successful all around the world not just in america so we need more things like that and i guess what aspiration is doing is kind of a financial services take on you know whether choosing to buy organic or, or buying fair trade and it is you know it's it's positive conscious consumption in that regard we'll talk more about offsetting again later i'm sure but um yeah i think it's a positive thing in terms of that uh, well and talking about um Let's go back to the consumer then, I, I, you know, in this massive opportunity and, and how Andre sort of framed this idea of the conscious consumer. I mean, how do you see the emergence of uh, the conscious consumer in some of the work that you've done? It's growing. Um, people do feel empowered to a degree. I think in, in the US, it's probably a small you know, slight minority. I think it's about 47% of the consumers we spoke to in the US think their actions can make a positive difference. And this is what I think Aspiration is going for. It's behaviors that can make a positive difference. Mm. But that's going to build, you know, I talked about COP26. I mean, one of the positives of COP26 is just putting this on the agenda. Um, movies like I've spoken about, media campaigns like this, awareness is growing. And 
consumers are on a learning curve right now. I think, you know, they've been fixated on packaging because that's what um, is most tangible to people. Uh, and that's probably the low hanging fruits that, um, you know, companies can pursue and deal with. But the conversation is moving on to energy. People are realizing energy is the key impactful thing. And yes, finance as well. Um, there's no use being a really good conscious consumer if um, you're you're banking with someone who, who's bankrolling all the things you're, you're trying to go against. Um, I think offsetting is the part of this as, as consumers do become more, more clued up offsetting is something which is, is in danger of possibly losing credibility to a degree. And I, I, stress the point that Andre wasn't saying this was all about offsetting. It's basically a partner solution to people reducing their emissions. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you're already seeing this in, you know, companies who commit to science-based targets. Um, you're not allowed to offset as part of that solution. It's, it's going to be about reducing emissions. So um, I think, um, you know, that, that does concern me a little bit that perhaps people aren't engaging with the issue um, as much as they could. And as we think then, I mean, for brands, advertisers listening to this, you know, I mean, how should they think about the evolution of the conscious consumer in the coming years? You know, what's coming down the, the, the line really in terms of, you know, how, you, how can you get ahead of the game here? I think it's about two things. It's about education, um, which Andre talked a lot about, and it's about engagement as well. So I think brands, whatever they are, whether they're financial services brands or food brands, they have a responsibility to to really kind of come clean and explain to their customers, you know, these are the areas of our business which which have the highest impact um, and, and quantify things um, in context as well. Um, so I think consumers increasingly are going to understand that, you know, it's their energy consumption and their financial assets, mm. which is what this is obviously about. That's what can have the biggest impact. Yes, keep doing the good daily behaviours uh, around food and drink and transport and things like that. But I think the thing that concerns me about offsetting, I think there's an analogy we've spoken about before around, um, you know, if you look at, let's say, homelessness, um, you know, there's an argument that you shouldn't just give money to homeless people on the street. You need to, if you only do that, you risk not engaging with the issue. It's a bit out of sight, out of mind, and you're not looking at the cause of that. And I think that's part of the danger with offsetting. And I'm talking more broadly now about offsetting, not necessarily uh, just about aspiration here, um, that we need to engage. We need mm-hmm. to actually change our actual behavior. And we need to change the behavior of these companies. And so it needs to be about reducing their emissions and engaging more. And connecting with the dots. I mean, Andre spoke about um, airlines, you know, helping airlines offset and things. Well, it's, it's about connecting the dots more. I think where this is going in future is consumers are going to want to know that that money is being used to sort of, you know, invest in biofuel research and they're going to want to see what what's happening around that. Um, and I think going, going forward in terms of what financial services can do, and Andre seemed quite open to this, and I think that was very encouraging that this is something they're looking at, is we need financial services which are going to help uh, people fund, um, you know, leasing electric vehicles or installing heat pumps in their homes, um, you know, and or making, you know, I've been doing a lot of work recently with um, a um, NGO around disability and discovering that fifteen percent of the population has some kind of disability and that they can't even struggling to access things like green public transport or um, Mm. you know recycle things. You know, I think we just need to outreach in a million ways like that. And I think, I guess the other thing with financial services is, you know, um, building what we talked about in terms of, you know, helping consumers fund greener lifestyles is also, um, we need to look at um, how we can engage with older consumers. You know, I know they're very focused on millennials, but it's older consumers who have the assets who might be able to sort of, you know, have more of an impact. Um, so that's something to do as well. I guess the final thing we'll see you know, around financial services and sustainability is, Let's help, help people reduce their consumption. You know, consumption is part of the problem. And um, sure. if I was a bank, um, I would rather say, you know, let's let's stop buying things and actually just leave your money with us and we can mobilize your money to uh, help with really impactful causes uh, and help people do that, you know, help people plan their month so they actually consume less and, you know, mobilize their money to do things rather than just add to that treadmill of consumption. So I think that's where it can go in the future. And I think, to be honest, this, this company and, uh, and Andre do sound like the, the kind of people who have ambitions around that as well. So, yeah. So interesting thoughts and ideas there, there Richard. And I know that I, you know, I mentioned, uh, I asked Andre about, you know, his, some of his plans for the future. It did sound like he has some interesting products uh, coming along that uh, he didn't want to announce, but it uh, sounds like they have a number of things in the works. And we're not done, I think, were his, uh, were his words. Um, but yeah, I mean, for financial services, 
you know, like you say, I think aspiration, you know, it really raises the awareness of the issue of sustainability you know suddenly you as as the they pump more investment into the brand you know you have a situation where consumers will start to realize that they have a choice um that they can have a, there are alternatives out there and i think traditional banks will just really have to take take note because it's going to shine a light on their own practices and perhaps force them to take action so ultimately that will lead to new products uh, leads to new opportunities in other areas of financial services so at the end of the day it becomes good for the consumer um, and ultimately better for the environment all right well thank you richard that's been uh, enlightening i really appreciate your uh, insights today thank you everybody for listening um if you enjoyed this episode make sure you subscribe rate and review us if you want to know more about mintel who we are and what we do head over to mintel.com and follow us on social media we're on linkedin instagram twitter and facebook and check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts Join me on February 15th for our first episode of season four. I'll be speaking with Bruce Beagle of Winterbury Group about his predictions on how the marketing landscape will evolve this year and how those stack up against our own trend predictions. Bye for now. Bye for now.